Blog Talk Radio. the other night 
and I'm watching it, and then the lovely uh, Mrs. TV said, oh, your Lakers are going. And she said, well, who's that guy? And I was like, well, I don't know. And then I looked, and I couldn't tell you the five guys out there on the floor. Like, I don't know. I, I didn't know who they were. So uh, the other night, the Lakers, uh, and their 14 wins, beat the Celtics, and their whatever wins. <laughs> and Jeremy Lin's given the post-game interview, and, and Swaggy P, uh, Nick Young, and the other guy, and I like I said, I don't know these guys' names, are carrying on as if they won the championship. So Kobe is on Jimmy Kimmel as he's rehabbing, and Jimmy Kimmel shows him the way the Lakers are carrying on. And for about 30 seconds, 30, 45 seconds, uh, Kobe's just stone-faced, just and – you, and you can just see on his face, he's just disgusted by what he's seen. And, uh, you know, I'm kind of in the, the Laker Twitterverse, uh, and Laker fans were also not happy. I mean, this was beyond just a plucky group of guys kind of celebrating a, a win over a rival. I mean, this was over the top. And that's not how we operate as as Lakers. It, it would be uh, tantamount to Kentucky rushing the floor after a victory. I mean, there's just things that you wouldn't. Uh, expect uh, the team to do or the fans to do. So this is this is a low point for the Lakers. This this season, this incident is just a very low point. And we had was it last year? Yeah. Um, you know, Kobe was upset when when Chris Kamen was there, and he kind of sprawled out on six or seven chairs on the bench because he wasn't in and that game was almost over just trumps the mess out of that, right? Yeah, and I saw, uh, I can't remember, I think it was a tweet at some point, uh, like the difference between Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant. Michael wanted to be the best. He was just consumed with winning at whatever. You know, the stories are legendary, the golf games, the poker games. But Kobe loves basketball, and I think that's the difference. He loves the game, all aspects of the game, and to him, these these kind of shenanigans, these antics are are disrespecting the game. You know, you go all out for 48 minutes a night because that's what you do. Uh, I mean, Kobe's been considered a lot of things selfish, moody, whatnot, but I don't think anyone can ever say that he does not care about the game of basketball, and it's it's got to be killing him to, you know, have been part of one of the, the greatest runs in franchise and NBA history with Shaq, and then to now kind of be with these guys, I mean, it's a it's a drop-off. It really is. Yeah, that's, I mean, and I, you know, of course, we you know, talk about all the stuff we want to talk about on the show. I've written down, you know, stuff we that happens throughout the week between us being on, and I definitely, with you being a Lakers fan, and with that happening on Kimmel's show and, you know, Kobe being who he is, uh, I definitely wrote that down as something to hit, but, you know, we went ahead and got it out of the way right off the bat. And, I mean, it's just, it's just a big difference between him, he's old school now, 
in, you know, respecting the game, being a fierce competitor. And, of course, none of these guys, I mean, I mean who knows where they are in the equation with, with Jerry Buss and all that. But if there's one tiny bit of positive, at least it was against the Celtics. They're down two, but they didn't do this against, you know, Orlando. They just saved this party on the court for Boston. Yeah, and and that would be my only little piece, little nugget of of kind of good news. Yeah, Yeah. was that it was against Celtics, and you know that is, you know, I still think the preeminent rivalry. You know, back when they played in back to back finals, or wasn't back to back, but back when they played a couple times in the finals here recently, uh, I think the NBA is at its best when you've got these kind of long-time rivals uh, going at it. That's that's the thing. Uh, but about Kobe, uh, Bill Simmons, ESPN sports guy, actually wrote a, a piece on him a couple years ago and was talking about uh, Bill Russell, how Bill Russell would study his teammates and knew their strengths, knew their weaknesses, knew where to uh, kind of – change his game to accentuate their positives and negate their negatives. And Bill Russell said of all the players, all the superstars that have come after him, only Kobe Bryant asked him, you know, his process in doing that. Now the difference is Kobe has a a tendency to study players, and if they don't fit what he's trying to do, he's got no use for them. That's the that's the difference. He's got no interest in making teammates better. You are what you are, and if he can use you, fine. If not, you know, he's got no interest. But I just thought that was a pretty interesting little tidbit that of all the superstars that have followed, you know, Kobe was the one that kind of asked Bill Russell his process uh, on how to kind of study teammates and, and that kind of thing. Yeah, that's, that is interesting. And uh, he is a little bit single-minded in his approach, but he he did, like you said, consult with Bill. And for Bill to even put mm-hmm. all that into studying and analyzing, that's, that's something else. I mean, that's, you know, you know, like a catcher knows every pitcher and knows the strengths and weaknesses of every hitter and, you know, has that scouting report in his, in his mind as he goes behind the plate. That's something similar to that. And, and Bill's doing it with his own team on the basketball court. You don't, you don't even hear about it people even having that mindset. Yeah, uh I mean he basically scouted his own team. Uh it's a it's a great read. Uh but I've kind of heard that about Bill Russell before. But but Kobe kind of following up and again not not going the same route to build up his teammates, but to uh uh kind of for if you want to say selfish uh gains, but uh he's not a good teammate. I I don't think anyone can say that. Uh, he's not the rah-rah magic kind of guy. Uh, so I think that's kind of what's um, kind of got him that loner status, if you will. Absolutely. But definitely wanted to hit that real quick. Uh, of course, we got the game coming up tonight, Kentucky and Mississippi State. Uh, this past weekend it was Kentucky at home against Auburn, and things were clicking pretty well, would you say, this past Saturday. I mean, it was an inferior opponent, but my cousin is an Auburn fan. He came over, uh, Jason came over and watched the game with us. 
Uh, and of course, he knew what was going to happen, but you know, we still get together and, and checking the game out. And like I said to him, I said, "Look, no disrespect to Auburn, but this is what Kentucky is supposed to do with an opponent like Auburn: jump on them and you know, make sure that the game is over pretty much as soon as it starts." And that's what Kentucky did. Uh, got on them, stayed on them, and, you know, knocked them out early. Right, and that's what you want to see because Kentucky will be favored for the rest of the season uh, from here on out. What they have done a, a pretty good job of doing is, even in the close games, uh, they've put a, they put doubt in the other team's mind that, uh, you know, uh, I think Mississippi was uh, Ole Miss was one of the the best games for that. Is that Kentucky played okay against Ole Miss? Ole Miss played out of their mind, shot out of their mind, but yet they weren't pulling away from Kentucky. You know, even in overtime, and you could see whatever play Ole Miss made, UK counter. Uh, you know, it's easy to point to to Kansas, to UCLA, even to Louisville, where you can see they don't think they can beat Kentucky. And with being the favorite, they've got to put that mindset, they've got to do that early on. Uh, I know they've had a lot of some slower starts this year, but they've got to come out and they've got to just, they've got to dominate from, from the get-go. And we're starting to see that. They're trending toward that. Andrew Harrison, his play is trending upward. And this is what you want. We have wanted to see, the defense still humming along. The offense is going much smoother. This is this is what we want to see. You know, they've got like four regular season games, three SEC tournament games, hopefully six uh, NCAA tournament games. You want these next, what is that, 15 games, 14 games, whatever it is. You This is when you want to start clicking. This is when you want everything to kind of – you've been working on all season to kind of uh, – to come together, and it and it looks like it. That's why I'll be interested to see what happens uh, tonight. Is you know on the road, Mississippi State's doing a blackout or whatever it is. You know they're doing their t-shirts or whatnot, and I, you want to see how the cats come out and respond. Yeah, and, and Mississippi State is twelve and fifteen, uh, five and nine in SEC play, <clears throat> and. This is probably their toughest stretch of back-to-back games. They played Arkansas close Saturday, lost 65-61, and now you can follow that up with Kentucky. So they had two home games with the two top teams in the conference uh, back-to-back. So, uh, and, of course, we saw how Kentucky played Saturday, and, of course, we want to continue to see that, that clicking, that harmony, that, you know, all the gears coming together, and now they take it on the road. Once again, it's against a team that, you know, is inferior. Um, I think it's a 19-point favorite, if I'm not mistaken. So do they punch them in the mouth right off the bat, uh, quiet the crowd, squash the hype, and, and then, you know, go ahead and take care of business, uh, which we expect them to do. And then you can, you know, move on to Arkansas. So, yeah, like you said, the blackout, everybody is up for Kentucky every year. 
add to the fact that they're undefeated, and that intensifies it even more. But, uh, you know, Kentucky still has way too much for Mississippi State tonight on the road. And speaking of, everybody, you know, if you got any Mississippi State memories that you want to call with them or tweet them in, maybe certain games that stand out, and, you know, which ones, there may be some stuff that stands out to you too, TV. We've seen them play Mississippi State for the years. There's probably some obvious stuff. There might be some subtle stuff that people have forgotten about, you know, between Kentucky and Mississippi State through the years. But if you got some of that, throw that out there too. We've got about 43 minutes or so until the you know, coverage starts for the game on SEC Network. Anything that you remember as far as interactions with the cats and the dogs through the years? Well, obviously, I think that. Mississippi State, when you look at kind of the other SEC teams, they've been oddly competitive with Kentucky. I know the all-time record doesn't show that, but when you think, you know, they were the team that ended the win streak in 96, you know, winning the SEC title and going to that Final Four. Uh, You know, they had a pretty good run with Rick Stansberry uh, when he was there. They had some quality players uh, uh, as well. I think You've got to look at the uh, SEC championship game of 2010 where Bledsoe, Eric Bledsoe, does that perfect intentional miss that uh, the Cousins is able to corral and, and, and get get that game to overtime, the game the Cats, uh, the game the Cats uh, actually won. But I go back not quite as far as 96, but there was the Eric Daniels tip-in that was, and I'm I'm looking at I'm trying to look that up now, but it was uh, I forget the year, maybe '03 possibly, but it was that that last second tip in, and I don't think Mississippi State was great that year, but just you know that game that tip in, uh, I think that was '03 during the uh, the midst of that uh, that incredible run that they had. Yeah, and. If you want to go way back, um, we've all seen it. We talked about it. You got, you know, Dirk Minifield dunking on the guy for Mississippi State there at Rupp Arena where, I mean, it's just ridiculous how high up he was. And that's taking it back to the 80s. Um, and a lot of people think that's the number one dunk of all time. And it's hard to argue. Uh, we, you know, lean a different way just because of, it's kind of generational just because of what we saw and what, the impact the DA dunk had on us, being the age we were when it happened, kind of we kind of gravitate towards that one more. But you cannot say one bad word about what Dirk did to that dude. Um, and um, Joe Crawford, I think, had a nasty dunk against Mississippi State as well. You mentioned the game Mississippi State won in '96. That uh, stands out to me too. Uh, the, uh, Eric Dampier and, and Dante Jones, two very good players for them. And Dampier played in the NBA forever, and Dante had a few cups of coffee up there too in the in the NBA. Um, the first player from Mississippi State that I can remember, and I looked and looked and looked, tried to find uh, a picture of him, was a guy named Brian Price. He wasn't that good. I remember watching him in the SEC tournament. Uh, in the mid to late 90s, maybe, my sister and I just just kept checking him out because the dude had a jerry curl, you know, it was way after the jerry curl had <laughs> jumped the shark. 
<laughs> he wore number five, and that curl, I mean, it was it was activated well. It was dripping. It was, you know, soul glow-esque. And I was like, we can just kept chick. Like, check this Brian Price dude out. He's my younger sister now. We still, you know, talk about him every now and then. I couldn't find an image of him anywhere. Uh, but, you know, kind of like A.C. Green, you know, when he's with your Lakers and he just, the curl just hung around too long. He, he was a guy who kept a curl way past his time. Brian Price from Mississippi State as well as A.C. Green. And, you know, Michael Cage rocked it too back in the day. Right, right. There, I think we all kind of know uh, one guy that had to curl a little bit too long, kind of like the guy that, that had the high top fade a year or two after, you know, Styles changed. So that's, yeah. that's, yeah. that's how that kind of stands out. And speaking of that, you know, Kawhi Leonard needed to get rid of the braids to San Antonio. You know, but that's uh, you know, since we own that stuff, staying staying with stuff too long, you need to go ahead and get rid of that. Um, and of course, you also at, at uh, Mississippi State, Jarvis Bernardo. Remember, he was down there blocking shots left and right. Yeah. Just a few years ago, he was a good player for them. Just a long, lanky, skinny dude, but he was a shot blocking machine. Um, like you said, Rick Stansberry had you know some good teams down there. And, of course, now Rick Gray is there. So, I mean, I don't know if it's a Rick thing at Mississippi State, but he's been there for a little while. But if he doesn't turn things around, I'm just going to put the rumor out that if Rick Barnes keeps under a team in Texas, maybe he can go to Mississippi State and there'll be another Rick to coach the Bulldogs on into the future. That's You know, it's just something with Rick's down there in Sparkle. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, Rick, Rick, Rick Barnes is. Well, Texas is is, is underachieving again. Uh, yes. With as good as they played uh, against Kentucky, that was a good game. That was a game the Cats had to grind out from start to finish. That was the first big test. Uh, I think that a lot of people uh, were waiting to see if they would pass. But they, they, Texas has just been dropping games like like nobody's business. But I don't think anybody's yeah. surprised because, you know, it's it's Rick Barnes, and when well, you look at do. the NBA, and you look at Lamarcus Aldridge, you look at obviously Kevin Durant, and there's some other guys in the NBA. You would think that he'd have more than just the one uh, Final Four appearance. Yeah, yeah, and I mean that's just kind of kind of what Texas does. The uh, you know Kansas has won the, the Big Twelve ten eleven years in a row. Uh, and now they're taking a few losses, lost to Kansas State. Uh, they lost to West Virginia a little bit before that. They're still hanging on to first place, but Iowa State's on their tail. I think Oklahoma's on their tail. At some point, you would think, I mean, you know, all the talent down there in Texas, right there in Austin, you go to Dallas, you know, Houston, you would think Texas would get it together and make a run and, and, and make a statement that, hey, we're, you know, we mean business in this conference. But they kind of remind me of Clemson in football. Clemson, you know, every year they're loaded. Every year they're kind of ranked high. Every year they'll lose two or three games that they shouldn't. And the same thing uh, in basketball as far as Texas is concerned. Well, and, and you look at the top Texas talent. I mean, you look at our twins, you know, from Texas, <laughs> and Randall uh, from Texas last year. So uh, you, you think if, if – uh, Rick Barnes is able to get 
you know, either the Harrisons or Randall with, with things have worked out a little bit different. But, you know, he's getting some, some top recruits. He's getting some guys in. It's just a matter of uh, getting them, uh, well, coaching them up. I mean, that's the, that's the thing. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what transpires in Texas. I think he gets the benefit that Texas doesn't care about basketball that much. So, I mean, I think he can fly under the radar and, and, and keep doing his thing. Exactly, exactly. Oh, eight four five two seven seven nine three seven three is the number. Of course, Cats Talk, Ben and Terry on the Brandon Hardy Radio Network, blogtalkradio.com. Uh, looking forward to another game, Kentucky being on the television while Terry and myself are on the air. So that's uh, going to be fun to be on the road at Mississippi State. We're previewing that, and then, of course, we'll have one eye on that while the game is going on. So I hope you're out there listening to us and enjoy listening to the show while you watch the game. We're going to enjoy watching the game as we do the show. Um, And, of course, there's still more U.K. stuff to get to as well. You mentioned LaMarcus Aldridge, and just a jump to Arkansas. Is Bobby Portis kind of in that mode? He's, you know, he's a matchup problem for a lot of people in the league. Uh, Kentucky's definitely going to have their attention focused on him when Arkansas comes to Rupp Arena Saturday. I was trying to, you know, trying to find a comparison for him because he's a big guy, but he can step out and, and shoot, you know, from the perimeter as well as get it done on the boards and down low. And I kept kind of coming to him, Marcus Aldridge, when thinking about, about Portis. I'm not saying they're exactly like, but they they kind of that's who came to my mind. Yeah, and and that's the thing is, especially in the post uh, in college basketball, there's just a kind of there's not many post guys, you know, not many big guys that are skilled. That's why uh, one of the reasons I favor the Cats going forward is, you know. Um, People talk about Wisconsin's, you know, Frank Kaminsky, and he's a decent player. Uh, I've got, you know, he's probably going to be player of the year. But when you remember the Final Four game last year, he didn't do a whole lot of damage against the Cats. It was the perimeter guys uh, because we've got size. We've got uh, a lot of size that can kind of negate that. Uh, I've heard some of the uh, the 96 guys, uh, Antoine Walker, uh, Walter McCarty, and some of those guys talk about their favorite game was when they just went out and they shut down Tim Duncan and Wake Forest. It's like, yeah, you might have one guy that is super duper skilled and in all world, but you know we've got a lot of guys that are pretty good in their own right that can kind of negate what you can do uh, on the court. But it's going to be an interesting yeah. matchup. Yeah. And speaking of Kaminsky, this was last year without Willie calling Stein Darden. Willie was already hurt and didn't play in that game against the Badgers. So this was, you know, Dakari, Randall, a little bit of Marcus Lee. You know, so he, he will now throw Towns in the mix and Willie in the mix in addition to uh, put Lyles on him, uh, Lee, Dakari, so – you know, he'll have even more big to deal with should they cross paths in the tournament. 
Right, and 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 that's the thing. Uh, you know, I've been saying it all year. It's it's just lineup flexibility. Uh, whether it's small, quick guards, you know, Euless comes in handy for that. You know, you've got bigger guards. Well, you know, the Harrisons and, and Booker are good for that. Uh, I, I just feel very confident in what this team uh, can do. Now, one thing we did talk about with um, Kansas State beating Kansas, and, of course, there was the uh, court storming incident where, you know, Bill Self got got pinned against the scores table, and, and one of the fans uh, made contact with one of the Kansas players. Uh, it, at some point, and I think it's only a matter of time, we're going to see an incident with a fan and with uh, you know a player after a game like that. Uh, it's only a matter of time. You know, we remember last year at Arkansas, there was an Arkansas fan kind of squaring off, and I can't remember if it was Andrew or Aaron. I, my memory is not that good anymore. But I mean, you're going to have these interactions once you allow fans onto the floor. When you hear people talk about storming, uh, court storming, yay or nay, it's usually if your team is not very good and you, you're going to storm the court after you beat somebody, they're for it. But the, the Dukes, the Kentuckys, the Kansases are not for it. Uh, that, that's the thing is, you know, uh, hey, when, when Kentucky wins you know, on the road in the SEC, they're going to storm the court. When they lose, they're going to storm the court. You know, Duke knows that. You know, Kansas kind of knows that as well. So um, I'm personally not a big fan of it just because basketball, uh, it's not like uh, football. It's a very confined space anyway. And when you've got thousands of fans coming on the court, that's just a recipe for disaster. Yeah, yeah. And um, I think that was Aaron Hansen, you know, where uh, the Winkler kid was trying to, I don't know, size him up or provoke or initiate something. Um yeah, that was and you know Kansas State. They were just so they just swarmed them. Kansas had no time to do anything. Uh, the fan definitely went out of his way to make contacts, uh, which definitely could have led to something real quick because security was more than lax there in Manhattan, Kansas that night. So, and you hate to see it come to that before something is done about it. Um, and, and with it being basketball, like you said, that does make it a lot different. There's times where you've seen uh, coaches just give a look and, you know, they'll go ahead and get the guys out before the clock hits zero. That didn't happen in this game. Um, either work something out where okay. that's the case or, or do a, uh, do away with it altogether. So uh, before you have something really nasty take place. Well, Seth Greenberg was on ESPN this week talking about when he was at Virginia Tech and Duke came to town. And he said that the administration, the athletic department there at Virginia Tech, had a contingency plan in place and said, if we're fortunate enough to win, this is how we're going to, to do it. We're going to allow, you know, the visitors, Duke, to get off the floor, you know, those folks in the yellow jacket. He said they will form uh, kind of an aisleway to get the, the Duke players off the floor, 
you let the guys party. He said they communicated that to the Duke folks. They understood, you know, what the contingency plan was. And I don't think if you're going to not stop the court storming, at least you've got to have a plan like that. How can we quickly, you know, if we're fortunate enough to win, how can we get the opposing team off the floor without, you know, without any shenanigans, basically? He was on, uh, speaking of Seth Greenberg, he was on a couple of weeks ago. I forget the teams that were involved in in the court storming or who lost. Uh, I don't know, it, might, it might have been when um, Arizona State beat Arizona a couple of weeks ago. Seth was on there laying ground rules as to what makes it proper to storm the court. Uh, he said the visiting team has to be ranked, the home team has to be unranked, and the arena has to be sold out. Those are like his three main factors and bullet points uh, when he was given, you know, his little spill about it. Of course, this was before what just happened, you know, with Kansas, Kansas State. And I just tweeted out, you know, Seth Greenberg is laying down the law on court storming protocol, and he retweeted it. You know, I was like, wow, cool, Seth gave me a retweet. But that was kind of his, you know, he's, you know, like you said, you know, you got some teams, that, you know, coaches specialize in this, specialize in that. And he, well, like you said, had some protocol at Virginia Tech, is really up on it and aware on it and wants to make sure it takes place the, the right way. Uh, much like, you know, speaking of Virginia Tech, Frank Beamer is known for special teams. They always block punts every year. Well, Seth's thing was, you know, in this aspect, he was up on some of the court and how it should be done and take place as as uh, orderly as possible, even though it's chaos. Right. Uh, and all he's saying is, like, the Boy Scout uh, motto, you know, always be prepared. You've got to have a, a plan in place. You either uh, fail to plan or you're planning to fail. That's the thing, you know, because now that the, in football, you know, they've got the class, collapsible goalposts. So you're kind of taking that danger out of it uh, and everything. So there are things you can do uh, to kind of uh, prevent that. Uh, You know, I'm not saying that Mitch Barnhart needed to have a plan uh, in Rupp Arena because that would never happen. Number one, the old (laughs) people are too close to the floor. And number two, (laughs) at Kentucky, we don't storm the court. You know, that may say, you know, that may come off a little – Whatever, right? You know, whatever you want to say, but I, I think most fans would say we're we're not going to storm the we 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 don't do that here at Kentucky. Uh, so uh, we can't say that about our neighbors to the north that uh, they like to celebrate wins in December uh, there in Bloomington. So uh, <laughs> I will I will let that I will let that go, even though ESPN is using that in one of their college basketball uh, commercials. Well, that's that's all they got to all they got to hang on to. But yeah, it still it still surfaces. That highlight still makes the rounds. But you know, it just becomes more and more of a distant memory. That's all. That's all you got to cling to. You got to milk it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's get to a, a quick break, real quick, because you know, like I said, we got about twenty five minutes till the game comes on. We still got some other stuff to talk about. Got to talk about Rajon Rondo, Daniel Orton, 
A lot more UK Mississippi is taking place with Cal's post game press conferences. We'll get into all of that. Be looking forward to the game. You're listening to Cats Talk with Vinny and Terry on the Brown and Hardy Radio Network on blogtalkradio.com. We'll be right back. Vin and Terry, 
on the Brown and Hardy Radio Network, blogtalkradio.com. Looking forward to Kentucky and Mississippi State in a little bit more than 20 minutes or so on the SEC Network. Benny Hardy and Terry Brown, tweet us at Cast Talk Wednesday, at Benny Hardy, at T Brown underscore 80. Uh, one game we uh, hadn't mentioned yet, too, as far as Kentucky and Mississippi State, uh, the DeMarcus Cousins call me game where they were uh, the students there at Mississippi State were giving him the business literally as much as they could, even before the game started and then during the game, uh, going over the line, crossing the line. Uh, but yet the market got the last laugh as Kentucky was able to win down in Starkville. Coach Cow has never lost to Mississippi State. But that game is definitely one that uh, you remember. I think it was on ESPN Classic the other day. Uh, DeMarcus throwing up the phone to him, saying, call me as he ran out the court. So that was definitely one that you remember as well. Oh, yeah, that was that was a great game. And down here, uh, Mike Griffith, he used to cover UT. Um, he used to cover the balls. He used to be on the beat for the New Sentinel. He was from Michigan, so he's back covering Michigan State, which is alma mater now, but uh, he would always, he never would say, but you always thought when he'd be on radio down here, uh, he would always say there's a certain school in the SEC West that is the vilest, most nasty team, his team you've ever heard as far as things being said to players. Um, he never would just say it was them specifically, but, it, you know, it, it was, he kind of just said, yeah, I think, I'm pretty sure he's talking about Mississippi State when it came to that kind of thing. And we know what DeMarcus was getting even before the game uh, and the calls he was getting when they got access to his number. And, of course, you know what he was getting as he was out there playing. So, uh, you know, that's just always kind of stuck in my mind hearing him say that when he would do, you know, radio here in the Knox area. Yeah, uh, you know, Mississippi State, they're famous for their uh, their cowbells. Uh, and that just always reminds me of uh, Phil Jackson calling Sacramento a cow town when he was with the Lakers. Uh, you know, <laughs> I just I just want to say this is a this is a cow town. And and Starkville, uh, I, I went there for was it a it was a football game and I can't, it was a long time ago, way back when. I know that. Um, Lexington is not exactly a booming metropolis, but my goodness, Starkville, <laughs> there is nothing there. There is just, it's just woo. You know, I, I, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I, that's one SEC locale I haven't been to. I want to get to all of them at some point. But I've heard that forever that, that Starkville is just, it ranks on the bottom of all the college towns. Out in the middle of nowhere, um, I've, I've definitely heard that. So, I mean, it's definitely got to be something to it. Isn't there sometimes the teams don't even stay there? Do they stay in Memphis and just take the bus down to Starkville? They'll think very different teams have done that. Or is that Oxford? I'm not sure. Memphis is close there. Sometimes they'll stay and then just drive in instead of trying to stay in Starkville. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I don't want to talk bad about uh, any place, but my goodness, that that, yeah, because uh, some of the reporters are already there at the game. 
showing, hey, the students are already here, you know, in the uh, in the arena. And I'm like, there's nothing else to do in Starkville tonight. It's snowing, so yeah, they're going to be at the game. I mean, that's just <laughs> where they're going to go. <laughs> that's hilarious. I still want to get down there to a football game or some to some sporting event of that kind, of football or basketball. One of these days. So you already marked it off your list. Uh, I'll have to mark it off mine at some point. Um, we got to talk about the uh, sesquicentennial of UK. Uh, that just happened this week. 150 year anniversary of the school. I gotta, I gotta give a shout out, and I, I gotta say something that might be. Uh, I don't know. People can take it how they want. I've tweeted before. But uh, it's not it's beyond our control. But I'll say it anyway. But I gotta give a shout out to uh, Brandy Romines. We had her on the show way back in one of our early shows. TV, uh, Harlan County and Cumberland Rescue. And I went to school with her. She's the one that made the uh, championship trophy replica cake for Coach Cal in 2012. She did the cake pops in the likeness of Greg Gumble and Charles Barkley, uh, Clark Kellogg. Um, I don't know if you saw it on Twitter or maybe on Facebook or somewhere, uh, and less than her leader for that matter. She also did the cake um, in the likeness of the campus for the 150th anniversary for the sesquicentennial, um, for her happiest a lark cake bakery there in Lexington. She's received national press before for the work that she's done, and once again she's been able to, to do it again because this cake she made for UK was once again amazing. So uh, I tweeted it out on my Twitter. I put it on our Cast Talk Facebook and Twitter pages earlier today, uh, and it's making the rounds. For those who haven't seen it, definitely go check out what Brandy has done. Uh, and she's once again just set the bar high and kept it there again and again and again. Oh, definitely. I saw uh, I saw her tweet of the uh, of the cake and. Uh, this is it's a big deal. Uh, 150 years is a, is a big deal. So I, you know, as a proud alumni, uh, I'm definitely uh, celebrating that. Uh, now, my lovely wife, Mrs. TB, asked me how things were way back when, when Kentucky was just a, a few years old. You know, she's she's got me just uh, <laughs> being very very old. So uh, yeah, it's it's a big deal. I'm I'm proud of all of my. Wow, that's that's she gonna get a low blow in in a time like that. Wow, that's that's just no shame in her game. I don't guess. No, no, that's that's how she is. I guess that's just how her parents uh, raised her. <laughs> <laughs> now, and of course, it's cool that it that it happened in our lifetime. Uh, university was established in 1865, so. That was definitely a big deal, like you said, and uh, all the recognition is well deserved. My thing, and I'm, I mean, you know, like I said, all this is beyond our control. But you said your mother was a teacher, right? Mrs. Brown, Mama Brown was a teacher. Okay, that's correct. And you and I are Kentuckians, so it didn't take long in school in social studies or Kentucky history of any kind in elementary school to know that our home state is 1792, that being Kentucky. Um, yes. 1792, 
is when Kentucky became the 15th state to join the union. And it's just my thought. It always just kind of, I don't know, it bothered us the right word. or just made me wonder. I'm like, why did it take 73 years to establish the university? Because when we go down south of the border in, in Tennessee, I hate to even do it, but they became the state in 1796. UT was founded in 1796. I always wonder. I was like, what? What were they doing to where they weren't able to start UK until 73 years later? Which I'm glad the sister centennial happened now. You know, because had it had it occurred in 1942, 150 years after Kentucky became state, if the university had been founded then, we wouldn't have been around to see it. But you know. I just can't help but wonder. I was like, what What was going on for 73 years that, you know, we kind of didn't get around to founding the state university? You know, that was just my, I always, that always, that always just crossed my mind. And that might make people mad, but that's just, you know, that's just always kind of the thought that even as a kid, I was like, why did it take 73 years to start it? Well, um, you know, there are universities in the state uh, that are older. U of L was founded, I believe, in 1798. So uh, there are some uh, universities. We don't want people to think we didn't have any higher education in the state. Right. <laughs> but, right. But to yeah. have an actual state university, no, I understand exactly what you're saying. So it was. I'm just. I'm just putting it out there. It's always been a thought. As far as I'm like a state university, it's a state. University. That was, you know. So. There it is, and, you know, people are upset. I, I apologize, but I'm just throwing my thought out there. It's been a thought. I didn't. I meant to look at other states and see if any besides Tennessee started their state universities in relation to when the state and school, you know, if that happened at the same time simultaneously in every state, or there was other states with a big time gap. But I, I didn't pull that up. But that was just me thinking out loud, something I thought for a long time. But uh, so there's that. Um, Rajon Rondo, I know you saw the altercation with uh, Rick Carlisle last night. Uh, he got benched. Turns out now the Mavs have suspended him for a game. Um, guys that cover the Mavs say you know, they were kind of having some beef over a play call that, that Rondo didn't run the play that Carlisle wanted ran. Uh, they said it's kind of been building maybe behind the scenes friction and things of that nature uh, since he's been traded to Dallas. But the news comes out that he'll have to sit a game for that incident because you know they were getting heated last night. Yeah, and we know Rondo from his days in Lexington. He's just <laughs> a different kind of guy. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. you, you know, he's he's just. He's just different. I mean, I don't know how to, to to put it. He's just a different kind of guy where he's part of the team, but he's not. And I think that he didn't feel appreciated in Boston, and I think that's affected him. You know, he was always the guy that was going to be traded in Boston, despite, you know, everything he did to help them win that championship, get back to the finals and everything. So I think that had a lot – to do with with how he operated as well. So uh, so we'll just see how it goes. Uh, I have seen some talk that the Lakers will try to get him in the off season. So I don't know 
how true that is, but he's just been a different kind of guy. I mean, that's just about the only thing I can say. <laughs> Would you want to see him in the purple and gold? Because I wanted him in Houston. What would you think if he went to L.A.? Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd want him uh, because we need a playmaker. And if if Kobe is going to, uh, you know, come back for kind of one last go, I think that it's good to have another ball handler. I know we tried that with Steve Nash. That hasn't really panned out. But the team is at its best. The Lakers have been at their best with Kobe when he's not always the primary ball handler and not expending that energy. Uh, you know, you think about Derek Fisher and, and, and those guys, you know, Brian Shaw way back when. So another ball handler, another playmaker, because right now they have very few guys that scare you beating them off the dribble, if any, without Kobe. Uh, that's the, the kind of the, what's wrong with their offense right now. There's nobody that can break their guy down off the dribble. So the offense doesn't go uh, quite as smoothly as, as other places. So uh, I would I would take Rondo. Yeah, I I would too. I mean, even with the uh, enigma or you know his personality or the you know potential of dust ups or friction, you know the way Houston played, I I would have liked to have seen him there even way before he got traded to Dallas, you know, it was, it was rumors that maybe it would happen. That's what the way Houston plays. You know, he not relied on to shoulder the scoring load. You know, he's a facilitator. You know, he's always racking up assists. He always has ever since he's been in the league. Uh, and we know about him getting steals. We know about him defensively. And we know about him in open court. And, you know, Houston likes to get up and down. So I, I would have uh, been one who would have liked to uh, have seen him there. So we'll see. He is a free agent at the end of the season, so you know it might just be a rental for a playoff run for the Mavericks. No guarantee that he'll resign and, and be there. Um, you know, getting the stuff with him and Carlisle right now. Of course, you know there's talk. Carlisle was uh, said to be ran out of Detroit when he was winning. You know, before Larry Brown went there, because he can kind of be difficult to get along with too. So you got two strong personality guys going at it and not wanting to back down. So that's kind of what you saw take place last night. So um, we'll see what happens uh, if he chooses to go somewhere else or if he resigns. It's all going to play out here in a matter of months, uh, anyway. Oh, another cat in the news was Daniel Orton, who was in the Philippines and was given the boot from the pro team he was playing with over there in the Philippines because he said that Manny Pacquiao, who also plays basketball over there, in addition to boxing and his uh, political ties and, and activities, plays a little basketball as well, not that well. And Orton said as much, and over there, in the Philippines, it did not go over well, and he was asked to leave his protein uh, in the Philippines. So you can't be talking bad about Manny over there in his home country. Well, let 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 me just say, and we know this as Kentucky fans, Orton didn't say a lot of smart things when he was here in the States. 
So, you know, he's kind of been that one guy, you know, if you want to call him a knucklehead or whatnot, he's been the kind of the one guy that, that Cal brought in that really didn't, I don't know, didn't, didn't fit, didn't quite jive, you know. Um, so I, I'm not surprised that it was him. But, yeah, you have to know where you are. You have to know your audience. You know, that's the number one thing about comedy. You have to know your audience. You have to know, you know, what's going to work, what's not going to work. And talking about Pacquiao, uh, Pacquiao, is that's that's not going to work. That, that, that really isn't. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, it was, that was asking for feathers to get ruffled. Even if, you know, what he was saying was accurate in in – in the situation, you got to realize, like you said, time and place. And then talking about the hero, I mean, there's nobody bigger over there in the Philippines than Manny Pacquiao. And then to, to throw shade, even if he's not a good basketball player, and he's not, but hey, you just got to keep that to yourself. <laughs> yeah, you, you can't talk about the, the star of the uh, of the country like that. It's more than just athletics. I mean, he's involved because. Wasn't he a, a politician at some point? If I'm, like he held some yeah, office. I, think, I mean, he he's like a senator over there, and he's he's done acting and I mean, he's done everything. Uh, but like I think it is like a it equates to like a senator over here is what he is over there, I believe. So yeah, so it's more than just boxing for for those folks. I mean, he is he's their hero. He's the guy, and you can't say anything bad about him. And it, it, you've got to know that. I, I don't think this would catch anybody off guard if you've been in that culture. So, you know, it is what it is. You know, sometimes you, you're going to make a, a knucklehead statement and, and do something and, you know, lesson learned. Yeah. But, you know, how we do, we we uh, we try to stay up on all of the goings-on, you know, UK-related, uh, good or bad, or smart or dumb, and <laughs> – this is under the this falls under the ladder, but it happened, and he's a former cat, so you know we don't want to. We you know how we do. We don't gloss over it just because it's something that eh, we wish hadn't happened. So uh, had at least touch base on it, mentioned what took place over there, and we'll see where you know Orton lands next. Right, right. We we wish him nothing uh, but the best. Um, yeah. The the game we've got about two minutes and thirty seconds before tip off where the Cats will take on um, the Mississippi State Bulldogs here at the top of the hour. So we're waiting on that to start. They'll be on the SEC network. Uh, the Paul Feinbaum show is finishing up, which is always uh, very entertaining. So, uh, yeah. so we're anticipating that start. You got a score. You got a score for tonight. Uh, I, I think the Cats cover. I, I think uh, we're looking maybe a 20-point game, 78-58, something like that. Uh, but I think they know what's going on. Uh, and that's the one thing I like about this team. They're embracing the the crazy because I don't know if you saw that ESPN is going to be carrying uh, Coach Cal's pressers, post-game pressers live for as long as uh, – the Cats stay undefeated. You know, now's the time where the, the 
spotlight's going to be even brighter. This is because yeah. we've, we've seen undefeated teams, you know, Wichita State last year, St. Joe's, uh, where Jameer Nelson made a deep run undefeated. But once you get to the end of February and you're undefeated, this is where it starts to get tough. And the one thing I like is how loose our guys seem to be, how loose they, they're, they're playing, you know, with the photo bombs and, and all that kind of stuff, uh, you know, the photo bombs with Coach Cal. So um, this is where we're really going to see that, that external pressure start to, start to mount on them. Absolutely. I was going to say a little bit lower scoring than you. I was going to say 68-47. Uh, we're similar in our margin of victory. I'm going to go 21-point win. And who, I was going to ask too, I had it written down on the piece of paper, who photobombed Cal tonight? That was going to, you know, we've seen Carl and Trey. Is it going to be the usual suspect or is somebody else going to pop up when we're watching I, I, I the interview? Else is, I think somebody else is going to pop up. Uh, maybe WCS, uh, but it, it's, it, I think it's going to be somebody different uh, tonight. Uh, it could be uh, – at some point it's going to be both Harrisons. They will do something. Uh, so now that's always the fun thing to think about is who's going to get the photo bomb of uh, Coach Cal. Yeah. And the bad weather that was expected in Starkville has hit Starkville. They're getting the snow and a dose of – Winter, just like everybody else. Uh, the house looks packed, though. Like you said, they didn't have any place else to go, rain or shine. So they're up in there and about ready to tip this thing off. That's right. That's right. And there they are. So we'll see what kind of start the cats get off to. Um, we also got a, and we got a bucket already. Also, got to talk about D Rose, man. That's the big news, you know, just in the sports world. When you step away from UK, is the fact that he's dealing with a meniscus uh, down again. Don't know the timetable, but it could very well easily be for the remainder of the season. Uh, we've seen him, you know, battle and miss tons and tons of games, and and now for him to have worked so hard coming into this season. You know, even with Team USA and, and, you know, looking strong at the beginning and now to see him have to go through this again, I mean, and mentally there's, we're not saying he was all the way back yet, and now here we go again with another setback. Uh, it's just devastating for the young fella. Yeah, and I had some Twitter exchanges with some folks. When you, when you think of Derrick Rhodes, is he going to become one of those – what if guys with the injuries, when you see, uh, you know, my guy, my kind of poster guy for that is uh, Anthony Hardaway, Penny Hardaway, because he was legitimately, I mean, he was right there, your top three guy in the NBA for about three seasons. And then, you know, his knee and, and, and different things like that. So he is definitely my kind of tale for, uh, you know, kind of what if uh, kind of guy. You hope uh, that doesn't happen with Derrick Rose, but, you know, we'll just wish him the best. Yeah, yeah. And the Bulls have, for the most part, 
you know, being able to keep their head above water and, and still put up, you know, decent numbers record-wise uh, when he has gone down with injury. And now they'll be asked to do it again. Uh, this is a huge blow for them being contenders for a title um, because they just don't have a guy now to put the team on his shoulders. I mean, we saw him when he won. Uh, his MVP just a few years ago. Uh, what a dynamic player he was, fearless, splashing to the rim. Uh, his, his jumper was solid enough to make him very hard to deal with because if you got up on him, he could blow by you with ease. Uh, he could just elevate right over the top of you, you know, taking bumps and contact, still finishing uh, very well at the rim. Uh, the series that he and Rondo had the duel basically in the first round of the playoffs uh, in 08 or 09. It's when Boston was, you know, winning the East and going on to represent the East in the finals. But that was an absolute just show that Rondo and Rose, they were going at it. Uh, and now, you know, Rose is very doubtful he'll ever attain those heights again uh, with these injuries that are continuing with this knee. To play him, right? So I think he becomes a, uh, you know, it's, it's a cautionary tale. Uh, so we'll we'll see what happens. Just wish, wishing him the best and, and everything. And I, I've got four four on the game. Mississippi State has used two timeouts and they've scored two baskets. So we'll see how that goes for him going forward. Yeah, well, that's what you want right there. Carl Towns doing work, especially go single cover him and give him two or three dribbles mm-hmm. before you react to him. Uh, he can do that all night. Kentucky's back up six to four. Uh, I had a few people respond on Twitter as well to the news about the Rose. Of course, you know NBA players were reacting and, and expressing sadness as well. Um, I had somebody say that you know he's and this guy is awfully younger than us. That Derrick Rose is. You know, the unluckiest player, one of the unluckiest players I've ever seen. And I was like, you know, that's that's definitely true. I said, you could put uh, Greg Oden in that conversation. And, of course, if you want to go old school, you know, Sam Bowie, we all remember what happened to him when we were, you know, kids. And Bill Walton, too. You know, like some guys are just and, – and Kevin Durant is starting to have some trouble, too, with his foot. You know, you got guys just wearing tear wears and tears on more quicker and more frequently than it does others. As we know, it's like you said, it could be that cautionary tale. Yeah, and, and that's the that's the thing. Um you gotta keep an eye out too. I'm my attention is I'm I'm watching the game as well. So Oh yeah, that's uh, two of us. That makes two of us. <laughs> but, hey, watch the game so watch this, the game with us and if you got us on the show Definitely enjoy checking out the game and us. We can all do it and multitask together. That's right. One one thing uh, we definitely want to cover is uh, is Bud Dupree at the NFL Combine. Absolutely. Who, uh, uh, every NFL guy that I've kind of heard and everything, he is definitely uh, he definitely kind of raised his stock a little bit uh, with his draft performance, or I'm sorry, with his combine performance. Uh, there was one guy that that basically said that 
was Bud Dupree, a combine guy, you know, one of those guys where they, he was just a freak at the combine. But you're like, you know, he was all SEC, you know, as a, uh, you know, this year. So, uh, yeah, I, I think his on the field and his combine is, is fantastic. Absolutely. And we just saw a very nice fast break with Andrew Harrison and Trey Lyles. Don't hurt them, Trey, with the nice boot to put UK up 8-6. to six. Uh, And it all started off with a nice block uh, by Carl Towns. Uh, and we see Mississippi State, they, they did double him quickly this time, and there were two guys open on the wing, and, they, you know, he kicked it out for a nice look, open three. Uh, the shot was missed, and Mississippi State was able to get a break started, but Town stopped that and then started another break for Kentucky going the opposite way. But a nice finish by Trey Lyles. As they go to commercial, Kentucky up 8-6 to six, uh, with the under-16-minute timeout. I think that that's one thing as far as Bud Dupree that's kind of being underrated. The, the program hasn't quite been what what we want, but we're we're producing some pros. Uh, some solid pros. I mean, you look at what Randall Cobb is doing. Uh, Avery Williamson, you know, has been playing very well. Uh, Wesley Woodyard. So there's NFL talent coming through the Kentucky program, even though uh, it hasn't quite shown on the field. But we are still producing uh, talent. So I think that uh, that's something that uh, Stoops and company can hang their hat on. Yeah, and those should trend even more. We saw, like you got, you mentioned Woodyard and uh, Williamson, you know, Dan Trevathan. This, these guys were coming out when the program was really low. And, you know, Chris Stoops has been coming in and recruiting better. And now, like you said, got to coach them up. But we can definitely see even more Kentucky Wildcats in the NFL uh, very soon. Williamson, and now and, and Williamson was on the KSR with Matt Dunn, and he's telling the Titans brass to, to uh, bring Bud Dupree down there. He's letting them know and trying to get in their ear uh, as far as drafting Bud Dupree. Uh, so, I mean, he, he showed out on the vertical uh, the 40 times, uh, you know, the best linebacker across the board pretty much. Uh, and for his size and weight to do what he was doing was very impressive. Yeah, uh so we'll we'll see how we'll see how that works out for him. Uh you know, hopefully uh you know, I don't really pay a whole lot of attention to the uh to the draft boards. Uh but hopefully, you know, he become a second round guy. Uh, I think that would he's very deserving of that and we'll kind of see what happens. Yeah, yep, and it'll be fun to see where he goes. And we definitely look forward to watching his career progress from there. Um, of course, you know, when Kentucky finishes this game against Mississippi State, and they're leading 8-7 to seven now, uh, Arkansas is coming into Lexington. We know about the rivalry through the years uh, when it was at its height, at its peak. Nolan Richardson was there. Arkansas had those great players. Mm-hmm. Uh, Scotty Thurman, Corliss Williamson, uh, Nolan Richardson, the coach, won the title. In '94, when Kentucky wasn't 
playing Arkansas. If it was Arkansas just playing someone else, mm-hmm. and you're just able to watch them, were you were you a fan of the Hawks? Did you like the Hawks uh, when you just stood back and watched them when Kentucky wasn't involved? You know, playing them. Yeah, uh, I think that uh, that I was. I mean, they they mm-hmm. what they did uh, was kind of what we did way back in those days. They played you 94 feet, and they played you for 40 minutes. And it was that same tenacity that uh, that Kentucky had in those days. That's what Arkansas was bringing to the table. And, you know, we've touched on this before, but, you know, I always thought that uh, Arkansas was going to be that that foil, that, that, that rival that would, you know, year in, year out, be able to keep pace with Kentucky, you know, it didn't happen, but you know they first when they first arrived on the scene, that was definitely what uh, you know what it was like, and uh, you know that Nolan Richardson uh, documentary they had um, on the SEC Network uh, sometime last year. I think that uh, you know they said you know you've beaten Kentucky at Kentucky. That's the benchmark of your program in the SEC, and that's when they kind of felt that they could actually go out and win, you know, that championship. So, uh, and of course, they played Duke in uh, in 94, so you had to – you have to root for Arkansas at that point. <laughs> <laughs> you, you're taking the words out of my mouth. I mean, and you got a – oh, well, good hustle, but it turns into a Buckingham, Mississippi State. Uh, 12-10 Kentucky right now with 14 and a half minutes left. Uh, I was, I mean, you said exactly, you know, my thoughts. That's why I, I wanted to ask about Arkansas before they, you know, come to Rupp Arena because, you know, we'll be talking about the game against Arkansas this time next week. But, I mean, I was a big fan of Arkansas if they weren't playing Kentucky. I'm right there with you. Uh, yeah, I like Nolan Richardson. I like uh, Corlett Williamson. Uh, you mean little chubby Corey Beck, Scotty Thurman? I mean, they had some players, and exactly like you, man, I was pulling so hard for them to beat Duke <laughs> in that championship game. And I was going to mention the, the documentary too because uh, I mean, Nolan Ryan, Nolan, Nolan Richardson put up with some stuff down there, you know, coaching um, while he was down there in his tenure. Uh, had to put up with stuff, had to hear stuff, had to deal with stuff, and was still able to uh, accomplish his goal, able to put a good team on the court, uh, play at a high level, win that championship, uh, and it was good to see. You know, he got his jersey hung up in the Raptors down there at Bloodwater Arena the other night when they were playing Texas A&M. But, yeah, so a lot of respect for Arkansas, for Nolan Richardson, uh, and now this year, Mike Anderson's kind of uh, getting it rolling a little bit. They're twenty-three and five, twelve and three in the SEC, and forever, you know, they were still tough on their home floor. You know, when you went in there, you knew it was very tough to come out with a win. The Kentucky, uh, the only place they have a losing record is Bud Walton Arena historically, uh, but now this year they're getting it together and winning at home and on the road. So uh, and they, of course they won at Rupp Arena last year and twenty three and five twelve and three in the conference. It's going to be a battle. 
but Kentucky will have revenge on the mind, considering what happened down there twice against them last year. But yeah, nothing but respect for them, and I was a big fan. As long as they weren't playing Kentucky, uh, I definitely enjoyed watching Arkansas. I'm right there with you. Right, and and, and Arkansas was cool. Uh, yeah, uh, you yeah. know, when when you think back to that time, and we talked about UNLV with with uh, Tarkanian last week, it, it wasn't just the fact uh, of the uh, Michigan Fab Five that that kind of changed everything. Uh, there were other teams that kind of, because Arkansas kind of had that swagger to them. You know, Nolan Richardson coached with a chip, with a chip on his shoulder. And he had those uh-huh. uh, those boots, you know. He had those snakeskin boots, and he was, uh, uh, you know, kind of angry all the time. And, and he was scowling, and 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 the players scowled, and they, you know, they'd bump you. They, you know, if they were going to foul you, they they definitely would. Uh, you knew when you got fouled. So uh, it it wasn't just uh, Michigan, uh, but it was Arkansas as well. I mean, you know, they had the the baggy short. And, and and that kind of thing, you know. Corliss Williamson, the big nasty, you know, he was yes. uh, doing his thing. So, yes. uh, and I, I don't think people. And here's one thing: my little soapbox is sometimes we let uh, professional careers kind of uh, color how we remember uh, talented college players. Like you know, everybody's with uh, you know talking about Tim Tebow and. And this, that, and the other is the NFL quarterback. Well, uh, it doesn't matter. He was phenomenal at Florida, you know. And Corliss Williamson was phenomenal at Arkansas. I mean, he was almost like a 2010 guy. He wasn't very tall, but he could play. And uh, just because you know he wasn't a dominant pro does not mean he was not a good college player. So I think that. You know, that's kind of something that we always think about, you know, Heisman Trophy winners that don't do anything in the league. Um, but that, uh, that's just my little soapbox moment. Let college guys be college guys. Yeah, yeah. So it's very easy to blend those. And you said, and that's not right. You're exactly right. Um, you know, there was comparisons to Barkley when he was there at Arkansas. And, you know, that team was kind of, he was an extension of, of Nolan uh, with that edge, that intensity, and then he took it on the floor and everybody else kind of followed his lead. And it was easy to do with him being the best player, and, and you know him, he was going to bring it. Not a, You know, he didn't take any plays off. He wasn't loafing. He was the best player, the most intense player, and uh, everybody on Arkansas' team kind of fed off of that. So um, they were fun to watch in the 90s, and, and Mike Anderson is kind of, bringing that back this year. If he builds off of this year what he's got going, they might step back into being uh, a little bit more of a consistent rival for Kentucky in the SEC. Uh, LSU got a a lot of talent coming in next year. We'll see how, how Johnny Jones does with that. They might be trying to take a step, too. Uh, so we'll have to see what happens. But, uh, of course, we definitely look forward to that game Saturday. And Kentucky's out to a, a quick start. Uh, tonight, CB, we saw the bad weather hit in Knoxville when they were in Tennessee, so much so they had to leave a day early. Uh, and they came out a little bit sluggish. The routine was different. Uh, then they kind of got things going and were able to pull away. 
they're going ahead and pulling away a little bit earlier tonight uh, and, and set the tone a little bit in the early going so far in this one. Right. And, you know, I remember when uh, Freddie Maggard was on the show talking about just routine. I mean, he was talking about football. But that's just something that uh, you don't really think about is when the guys are traveling on the road and, and there's just a difference in routine. Um so that's why I'm glad that, you know, we do have a little bit of leadership so the freshmen aren't figuring us out on the fly. I think that's what separates uh, this team from other Cal teams is this team has had an identity from day one. And that's what is kind of making this team as special as it, as it can be. They knew from the Bahamas trip who they were and what they were going to do. That's the that's the the thing that I really kind of love about this team is like we kind of knew people's roles, you know, from the Bahamas, you know, who the inside guys were going to be, who was going to do the outside, you know, that kind of thing. So, um, so we'll see, we'll we'll see how this this goes. But man, I love this team. <laughs> if you can't get that, I, I love these guys uh, in Carl Towns. Yeah. He, he doesn't refer to uh, uh, the his, guys as teammates. He, it's, it's always my brothers. And that, to me, is just that is what Cal has been preaching, and these guys have bought into it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the, the chemistry's been there uh, on and off the court. See them chant for one another. Uh, when... You know, guys aren't on the floor. You see them rooting and uh, being interested in what's going on. Uh, the agendas aren't there. Uh, the egos aren't there. You know, it's all for the good of the team. So, uh, and and for that to be instilled and take place so early on, the youth that that works as well. Uh, Willie mm-hmm. Poitras, that kind of helps having them there. Uh, a little more leadership and some experience. And then the high maturity and IQ of the youngsters coming in, the freshmen who are, are wise beyond their years, you know, as far as on the court and the way they play the game, uh, they've come in with a lot of, of foundation. As, you know, they don't have to be tall and, and bad habits erased. They're coming in uh, with a lot of potential and a, lot, a strong foundation from an on-court awareness basketball IQ standpoint. Exactly, and I would have been concerned about this team had, you know, a bunch of people come back that that uh, we weren't anticipating to come back. Like, you know, if you know if Cal had guaranteed that Euless would start, you know, that would have been a problem, or that Booker would start. But these guys, the freshmen signed, knowing who was staying and the guys coming back knew who was coming in. So at that moment, you have to say to yourself, they knew what they were getting into. They're buying into this, and they have to this point. So, uh, you know, Trey Lyles just had a spectacular move, who I think he's one of the more skilled guys on the team, uh, the things he can do at his size. Uh, I'm still waiting on a breakout game uh, from him. But it's, uh, these guys, it's not about the, the numbers. It's, it's about wins. That's what they're concerned about, and that's what we—that's uh, what we're seeing. Yeah, 
Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And speaking of speaking of a lot of winning during his time at Kentucky, that would be one Tony Delk who had uh, his number retired Saturday at halftime of the Auburn game. The double zero now hangs in the Raptors of Rep Arena. Um, you know, you know, just great memories of TD. The long arms, the shooting of the threes, how what a sniper he was shooting the ball uh, and propelling them and being the outstanding player in the Final Four of that 1916. Um, back there in the back over Anthony Epps. There's great memories of TD. And finally, glad to see his number and name hanged up there in the Raptors. It, it took a little while, but I'm glad that that occurred and then he got his number retired right. like he should have should have been. Yeah, he that should have been that was long long overdue. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I'm not sure the process of of doing that and, and all the the rules and everything, but there's gotta be a way where we can uh speed that process up for deserving guys. Uh you know, for my money, I think you have to look at Tayshawn, you have to look at uh, you know, Keith Bogan's kind of being the next guys that, that might uh, get up there. And then, you know, in 10, 15 years, I think the big debate is going to be uh, about the, the guys that are only here a year or two. That's going to be the next big debate uh, because they're not going to have the career numbers, but you want to honor those guys. And it's it's going to be Anthony Davis. He's going to be the guy because you figure that in, uh, you know, 10 to 15 years, at that point, you know, barring any injury, he's going to be a super-duper star in the NBA, you know. And then we all know what he did with the 2012 team as far as uh, just winning all the individual awards and and everything. Uh, I would say that you put him up there. You know that's my that's my two cents uh, because the game has changed. So yeah, uh, and there's a, there's a couple of other people I think that are uh, deserving uh, of that uh, of that honor. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, so yeah, that will be uh, something to see how that's handled. Uh, I don't know if now you have to. To graduate, or I don't—I forget what the criteria is, uh, but hopefully it can be adjusted because you know the game has adjusted. You weren't always able to leave after one year, so the criteria should adjust accordingly uh, for Wall and Cousins and Anthony Davis and all those guys coming down the line. Um, you wrote a piece recently because you know we had. The Oscars taking place over the weekend, uh, and if you got soapbox thoughts on the Oscars, throw those out there. I didn't watch one drop of it. Not a huge movie guy, but you wrote an Oscar. <laughs> you wrote an Oscar themed UK piece. So go ahead and, and share that, and then you, I mean, you might have thoughts on Birdman or, or, or whatever else that was out and won or got nominated or lost or got snubbed. But uh, the Oscar piece you wrote was great, and then I know you got thoughts on the Oscars, so I'll try to tweet about it. Well, I, you know, I, I've gotten the habit of, of, of live tweeting all these award shows, uh, 
uh, and everything. And, uh, you know, it's just fun to kind of poke fun at the, the celebrities and everything because nobody pats themselves on the back more than uh, Hollywood celebrities. Uh, <laughs> as far as the piece, you know, with award season, I said, you know, because when you look, uh, and it, it hit me that we have not had an SEC player of the week all season. We've had freshman right. of the week, but not a player of the week. And here we are being undefeated, and we could quite possibly end up with no uh, first or second team, maybe not even a third team All-American. I know Willie is on uh, the wooden list, but, he, you know, I don't think he's just going to have the numbers. But I, And I think that speaks to this team, that they're on the, they could do something historic but not have any individual accolades. So I said, let me do some, let me do some awards. Um, and I said, you know, Coach Cal, you know, director, you know, with this team, you know, have him undefeated, but his past work, uh, you know, it, it, I had a little bit of fun with it. You know, 2011 team, that Final Four team, I called that uh, his his small movie that nobody really saw coming that kind of crashed the party, and uh, he had his big budget uh, blockbuster with. Uh, the 2012 team, uh, I said that he had his uh, kind of Ocean's Eleven high star power team uh, with the uh, John Wall team because those got those were a lot of personalities on that team with DeMarcus and 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 John Wall and and Patrick uh, Patterson and, and all those guys and even Daniel Wharton was a was a was a different character so that you know kind of what I equated to. Uh, you know, even, you know, he did the best he could with his one kind of bomb of a season, you know, losing his, his best, uh, uh, you know, his best player in 2013. And then, you know, salvaging uh, a movie kind of, you know, uh, last year, it looked like a big budget. It was going to run over and, and people were kind of worried, but he kind of righted the ship there. So he was best director. Uh, I had best uh, actor in a lead role with Carl Towns. Who's, who's finally coming to realize how good he can be. Uh, they, there was a stat before the game, you know, in three out of the last six games he's had a double-double, and uh, just his passing out of the post, he's becoming he's becoming the guy. Uh, I had best actor in a supporting role, Devin Booker. When you watch this guy play, you say to yourself, mm-hmm. he could easily be scoring 18, 19, 20 points a game for any team in the country. But he's doing what he can to come off the bench. Uh, he's scoring. And then you look at uh, the last couple of games, he's got like 11 rebounds. So he, he's becoming Mr. Versatile. He's the, he's the, uh, he's that character actor that you need to kind of make a movie work. Uh, and then, you know, with the Grammys, I kind of went, you know, best duo, the Harrison brothers, uh, you know, as, as maligned as they are, you know, they're the only backcourt that has led their team to the Final Four, the only backcourt in the country. They're the only backcourt that's got their starting backcourt that's got their team at 27-0. and 0. So uh, you got to tip your hat to those guys. Uh, newcomer of the year, best new artist, I'm sorry, I had uh, Tyler Eulis. Uh because he's he's been that missing piece. He's been what – what you know, we've touched on this before. It's been the small quick guards that have killed us, particularly you know UConn, 
in 2011 and last year. Well, he's uh, he's the answer to that, to the quick guards. And you touched on this before the season, talking about, you know, the little guy, you know, playing that pesky defense to really get under your skin. And uh, the highlight was, you know, the Louisville game. You know, he's out there, catches an elbow, keeps playing, you know, and there's that iconic shot of uh, the blood trickling over his eye. I mean, that was uh, – and the funny thing was, you know, that was the same game where Louisville's Chris Jones took the famous flop. But you guys, <laughs> Ulyss didn't. Uh, and, and one thing I also put in there, uh, and I'm going to have to look it up because I can't remember what I said about uh, Dominique Hawkins. This is what happens when you get old. You can't remember what you wrote two days ago. But, I just uh, tweeted it out. Dominic, uh, yeah, but given Dominic Hawkins, yeah. So I'm 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 pulling it up now because I'm old and and, and going senile. But uh, Dominic Hawkins, you got to give him some love because of what he's been asked to do. You know, he's when Poitras was you know missed the first couple of games uh, for an illness. You know, he's stepped up. He's Done the uh, uh, where he started. He's done the uh, coming off the bench. But no matter what, he is given a hundred percent. His energy is infectious. It's contagious. It's um, it's what you want out of because he could go anywhere else and get some quality minutes. But you know here he is playing for his home state school and, and giving everything he has to to help these guys win. So. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that, that was what it was about. And that was that was strong work because, you know, first of all, you got to have, you know, Oscar knowledge, movie knowledge. I'll, I'm a, you know, I'm a Grammy watcher more so because I mean, I'm a big, much bigger music person than a movie person. But, I mean, to, uh, to get all the categories and to fit the U.K. players into all those categories, you know, the nominations and, and all that, that was, that was strong. And that was uh, – you know, a, a nice little current events touch, pop culture touch, uh, <laughs> putting that in like that. So that was that was cool. Um, but yeah, that was that was fun uh, to read that too. And, and you had every player, and it was it was accurate. Uh, when you mentioned Eulis, one thing everybody was just so amazed and surprised. You know, I mean, it's, it's been a long time since a, a small guy's been at Kentucky. Uh, yeah, Brandon Stockton, you know, Leroy Bird way back in the day. But everybody was just so shocked to see him come in and, and do so well. Uh, you know, especially with, you know, Cal preferring big guards, I understand that. But it just wasn't that much of a surprise to, to me to really see you just come in and definitely be able to hold his own. Uh, he's been a little his whole life. He knows how to <laughs> carry himself in amongst the trees. When to get a good shot off, when to drive a dish, you know. And we talked about the IQ of these young guys earlier, but uh, everybody kind of held their breath as to the whole he's so little thought, but now that's kind of dissipated because people know he can play. And the size or lack of size in his case isn't an issue. Oh, definitely, definitely. And I also had uh, Willie Cauley sign as, uh, producer of the year, 
just for everything, you know, coming back and kind of being, uh, you know, that, that on-the-court leader for the Cats. Uh, and, you know, I had to do something for those dunks that you had against, you know, Florida and LSU. I mean, my goodness. <laughs> just my goodness. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and and you saw the quote. Uh, they they showed it. As, uh, I'll get it there. They showed it against uh, Auburn as, you know, Willie was taking exception to the fact that he was being perceived as soft, that, you know, he said, well, I'm just going to start dunking on people. They can't say that if I'm taking it strong and dunking on people. And we've, we've seen the results since he's kind of put it in that mode. <laughs> you mentioned the Florida game, the LSU game. Oh, you know, he's still knocking down a jump, jumper here and there, but, you know, going to the hole with authority, put back dunks, going at people, uh, and it, that aggressive really is, is nice to see, uh, especially on the offensive end. And we know what he does and how he impacts things defensively. But then you add that in with him attacking from the inside, and that's just another thing to contend with uh, when you see how, how scary this team can be. And from that standpoint, there's just been open looks galore tonight because Mississippi State has had to honor uh, what Kentucky can do down low, and you mentioned the passing. Carl Towns is just finding open guy after open guy after open guy. Uh, they haven't knocked down as many as you'd like to see, but I mean, you you like the odds of you know uh, Aaron Harrison and Devin Booker having basically catch and shoot spot up threes that they're stepping into due to the fact that. Down low, the bigs are uh, attracting so much attention and making the right pass once the double teams and sometimes triple teams get there. Right, and Trey Lyles is is showing his versatility tonight, being able to put the ball on the uh, on the deck and 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 make some things happen. Uh, so I'm I'm glad to see him have a a real good game. And one thing I think that we all kind of forget about, and I have a little bit as well, is We've lost a starter to injury. You know, yeah. a lot of people making the hoopla about Virginia losing their guy. We lost a starter. I mean, Alex Poitras was a starter. He was a McDonald's All-American. He was poised to, to make noise this year. And he's been out for the year. And I think that doesn't get enough uh, play on how deep and how, how, you know, how deep this team is. Yeah. Uh, absolutely, um, because he would definitely be in the equation, and just another wrinkle, another option, another threat, another potential problem for uh, opposing defenses to have to try to figure out and, and deal with and do something about. Uh, most definitely, um, we talked about former cats in the NBA. We talked about. Um, uh, of course, uh, Daniel Orton, we talked about Rondo. Uh, what we hadn't got to yet was the fact that the NBA tra- trade deadline uh, went down this time. Well, actually, the 19th was when the deadline was, so it'll be a week ago tomorrow. Uh, and this time we saw a lot of former cats changing addresses. Uh, we saw Brandon Knight moving from Milwaukee to Phoenix, Enos Cantor going from the Utah Jazz to the Oklahoma City Thunder. 
Take Sean Prince going back to Detroit where uh, he won a title, uh, had a lot of his best years, spent the, the prime of his career. Uh, what did you think about, first and foremost, the, the uh, Kentucky guys who were involved in trades, then some of the trades in general as far as uh, across the board in the league were concerned? Well, with the with the NBA, I, I remember, you know, it was very rare for the NBA trade deadline to really mean anything kind of when we were growing up. You didn't see a lot of that uh, during the season, except for what you talked about with Dominique going out to the Clippers from the uh, oh. uh, from the Hogs. But you really didn't see that a lot. And you really don't Dumb see that a lot of football. I mean, obviously, yeah. But you see that in baseball all the time where you've got people trying to sell – you know, buyers trying to, to make that push. So you see that. Um, so I, I don't know what to make of it, uh, to be honest with you. I, I don't think it – I really didn't see a whole lot of trades that would make me think the outcome of the finals would be any different this year, if that makes sense. Uh, I love the Suns getting Brandon Knight who's really turned himself into a, a pro. And I think he's one of those guys that gets gets lost in the shuffle uh, when you talk about Kentucky guys, uh, you know, under Cal. I mean, he played a heck of a season in 2011. And just because of his nature, he wasn't, you know, kind of getting caught in between, you know, the John Wall group and then Anthony Davis, you know, people kind of forget about him. But I'm glad that he's heading out to Phoenix with Eric Bledsoe, who's uh, having a steady career of his own. So I'm glad to see that. Yeah, and I kind of, I don't know, I don't know, feel sorry for Brandon Knight. That's not right, but I kind of. If there was a Kentucky guy, you, you're kind of glad to keep those things. If there was a Kentucky guy that maybe I wish it stayed put, I, I kind of wish it was him from the standpoint, uh, which he can play. It doesn't matter. He's, he's proven he can play no matter where he's at. Uh, but from the standpoint of that Milwaukee, he was more than likely already in the playoff. Uh, I wrote a piece about it. You know, they were they were firmly entrenched in the sixth spot in the East. And we're talking about Milwaukee, who hasn't been in the playoffs in forever. Uh, they were firmly locked in for the sixth spot. Uh, the Charlotte Hornets were in the seventh spot, but they were like eight games behind the Bucks. I Milwaukee was going to have to completely fall apart to not make the playoffs in the East. Uh, now Brandon goes to the Suns, who are on the outside looking in right now at the eighth spot. Uh I mean, he can be the difference in maybe pushing them to make it. But I was would have, I would have liked to see him stay put there because this team won like 15 games last year. Uh, Jason Kidd, who's come in in his first year and, and got him playing well, I would have liked to definitely see him stay more of a place where he looks to be a lot to make the playoffs. Uh, but hopefully he can get Phoenix into the playoffs. Him and Bledsoe and Archie Goodwin out there in Phoenix can make a run and, and sneak in and get that eighth and final spot. Yeah, because uh, I think Bledsoe's turned in a, a solid career as well. So 
it's one of those things as Kentucky guys, you've got to keep up with uh, the NBA a little bit to kind of see where they are. I know a lot of people aren't um, as into the NBA as we are, but uh, if you're uh, a Kentucky fan, you know, it's always good to kind of keep track of, um, you know, keep track of your guys, you know, even once they, once they leave. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, this influx of cats to the league will definitely make some NBA fans out of those who didn't care less, who couldn't care less before. So, uh, yeah, you're right about that because you're attached to these players. Even if they ever do just stay for a year, uh, you want to see them do well at the next level. So uh, more UK fans' eyes are, are moving to the league than they have in a long time. So uh, that's definitely good to see. From a, um, I, I mentioned that I was, I wish Brandon Knight had stayed put. From a weather standpoint, though, he's got to love it. I mean, it's 17 in Milwaukee now, and it is 70 in Phoenix. So this time of year, if you're gonna get traded, you know, that's that's a good place to be traded too, because we we've seen how cold it is. We know what what we don't know personally, but we know what uh, it is like in Milwaukee each and every year. So. From that standpoint, he benefited, and and hopefully he can. Uh, I'll go ahead, Tyler Ulysses from deep, right before the half. Um, hopefully he can benefit and go ahead and, and play well out there in Phoenix. As Kentucky goes to the half, up nine, thirty-six to twenty-seven, uh, in the blackout-induced hump in Starkville, Mississippi. Uh, Trey Lyles with 13 points, like you said, with a great game. Uh, big shot right there to get the lead up to nine by Euless. It was a six-point lead before that. Uh, so they're up by nine and, and look forward to them to go ahead and extend it from there in the second half. Exactly, exactly. But, yeah, um, and Tayshawn going back to Detroit. And Kevin Garnett going back to Minnesota. What do you think about those two, you know, kind of going back home for the the finales of, of their careers? Well, this is a trend we kind of see a little bit in, uh, you know, baseball, in um, football even, you know, where guys go back, you know, they retire, you know, under a certain uh, team. Uh, I think it's good that, uh, Garnett's going back to uh, Minnesota. I, I think people forget uh, just how phenomenal he was, you know, for the first eight, nine years of his career, you know, before he finally got his title with Boston, uh, where you kind of saw him kind of being more your prototypical big man. Uh, he was a like, freak of nature. Uh, NBA.com put together – top ten uh, plays uh, of Kevin Garnett as a uh, Timberwolf. And, I mean, he was the big ticket. He was an absolute freak with Marbury uh, running the show. Uh, never could quite get over that hump, but, man, my goodness, how athletic he was. Yeah, yeah, just that that energy, just that, that – Boundless energy he played with 
every night. I mean, his intensity. You know, sometimes I mean he's he is crazy. He got a little he got a little crazy side to him. He's, he's nonstop talking. He's yakking. He's but just every night. I mean, so many minutes he's lost for so many years. Um, oh, home, okay. He he uh, he had tons of energy, uh, and he did. He was able to get the. Uh, the Timberwolves to the playoffs. That one year they made the conference finals, I believe, with Cassell and, and Spreewell and all those guys. Uh, but that's one thing, you know, Kevin Love wasn't able to do. You know, he had some good years there before he went to Cleveland, but he never got to the postseason. Uh, Garnett wasn't able to get to the hump, but over the hump, like many thought he would while he was there, but, you know, he was able to get them to the playoffs. Right, and and that's the thing is, uh, you know, he had to leave Minnesota to get the, the championship. That's one thing that I really like about uh, being a Kobe fan is, you know, he's going to be a Laker forever. Uh, and you don't see that a whole lot anymore, whether teams don't value uh, loyalty or players or whatnot. You don't see one guy being – uh, you know, with the team anymore. You've got Duncan and you've got Kobe, and that's, it's, you know, that's the the short list right now. You got to see what'll happen with Durant, but it's just not often that you see a superstar or like a D Wade. Uh, you can put him on that list as well, but you don't see them staying with one team for the duration of their career. Yeah, and Derek Jeter just retired in you know MLB. Who knows? I don't know in baseball if there's anybody that's been anywhere for a long time right now as far as, you know, a top-notch star. Uh, it's, you know, kids, are, nobody's going to know what it's like for somebody to stay with one team anymore. Uh, after Kobe retires and, and uh, like you said, D-Wade, too. Uh, yeah, so that's coming a thing of the past quickly. Right, and, and we, you just don't see that anymore, that, that that long-term loyalty. Yeah, absolutely. So we got uh, a nine-point game right now. Um, what kind of stood out to you? Uh, at, you know, Mississippi State went on a little bit of a spurt there toward the end. They were stuck on you know, 10, 12 points. It looked like uh, didn't know if they were even going to average a point a minute there for for a while. It was going to be a struggle for them to get to twenty points. They put a few baskets in there at the end, finished up twenty seven um, for their halftime total. So I can tell you with a nine point lead uh, as we wait for the second half to start, thirty six to twenty seven, and of course Tony Dell once again on the set, you know, and he's doing well uh, in his role as an analyst. He's done some games. You know, uh, courtside, and he's also in studio like he is tonight. But uh, it's good to see him now this basketball season. We saw the very different football guys, um, uh, Booker McFarland and all those cats, uh, and when it's football time, Greg McElroy. Now you got Tony Delk uh, at times, um, uh, Dane Bradshaw, for former UT player. Uh, but it's basketball time, it's good to see Tony Delk, and, and he's doing a great job on this network. 
Yeah, it, it, and TD is one of my favorite uh, favorite players. Uh, just that shot of him falling into the bench in the 96 title game against Syracuse. Uh, and he was one of those guys that sacrificed a lot for the team that year. So uh, glad to see uh, former Caps doing well, you know, once they leave Lexington. Uh, it's very good. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, one thing, too, I want to hit on, because I know you're a big NBA guy, just like myself. Um, we we saw, uh, you know, Chris Bosh right now out for the season of uh, the Blood Clots. Uh, we saw Anthony Mason and his son there playing for Auburn. Kentucky just played them. Uh, was was struggling and having some serious health issues. Uh, and he's only like 48 to 49. Uh, and then we add to it, Jerome Kersey just passed away at age 62 and had a blood clot as well. And I know you, just like me, remember Jerome. Uh, you definitely been a Lakers fan at that time. You, you saw him more so than me, with, especially when he was with Portland. He played for other teams as well. He even played for your Lakers for a minute. Uh, but uh, a versatile guy, you know, 10, 12 points a game, dirty work on the boards, dirty work defensively. Uh, he get out on the break. Uh, he was a, he was a good dunker as well. Definitely got he got overshadowed in some dunk contests. I remember him entering a few, but uh, it's very sad to see him pass away. Um, and he was, of course, most known mostly as a member of the Portland Trailblazers. But uh, it was cool to see Steve Blake change the number, drop number twenty five, and just go to number five in his honor. But very very sad to see Jerome Kersey pass away at such a young age, like fifty two years old. Yeah, uh, and that, that's one of those things where where timing kind of becomes everything because, uh, you know, it's one of those, if not for Michael Jordan, then you think those, one of those Trailblazers teams would have would have popped through and, and, and would have won because uh, they were very, very talented for years and, and kind of took over being the team out west, you know, when Magic retired uh, and before the Rockets kind of came up. So, um yeah, you definitely hate to hear that. You know, guys, uh, young guys, I mean, you know, these guys in their 40s and 50s uh, passing away, very, very sad. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, like you said, the, the Bulls knocked them out, and then that year the, the Pistons uh, the Pistons finished the back-to-back. Their second one came at the expense of Drexler and, and Kersey and Terry Porter and, and Portland. So yeah, they they had some good teams out there, and just like the Jazz, you know, came up short in their two times going to the finals. You had Bill Walton winning one with them back in the day. I think '77. We were just coming into the world, uh, so they got one then. But they, you know, a couple times they just weren't weren't quite able to to knock off MJ and Isaiah and Dumars and those guys in the early '90s. Um, Flip to the women's side real quick. Uh, Coach Matthew Mitchell and the UK women's team is sitting at 19 and um, 8 and 6 in the conference. They just lost a tough one at Ole Miss uh, Monday night. Tomorrow they're at Arkansas. And then Sunday uh, the season concludes with South Carolina, currently ranked number two in the nation. South Carolina comes in, Coach John Staley. They've only lost one game, and that was up at UConn. 
I'm going to be up there Sunday to watch it. Like for the weekend, I'm going to be up there Sunday to watch it. Do my first women's game. I haven't seen them play before. And I'm sad to say it, but I haven't been to a women's game. Uh, haven't been to a Memorial Coliseum, so I'm going to scratch both of them off the list. And hopefully it can tell you can knock off the Gamecocks, who, as I tweeted out a few days ago, this is, for the SEC is concerned, a heck of a week for South Carolina. They play Tennessee at home, but the Lady Vols at home Monday, uh, of course, ranked in the top ten. And then we just mentioned that they have Kentucky on the road Sunday, but you sandwich in between, they have to play Mississippi State, once again, as a top-ranked team, uh, top 10, top 15 team. And we saw uh, Kentucky beat them 92-90 to when Michaela Epps went for 42 um, about two weeks ago. So South Carolina plays the Lady Vols, Mississippi State, both of those games at home. Then they go on the road to close out the SEC season, regular season, in Lexington. Uh, I've, I've said it, if they win those three, which, I mean, they've only lost once all year, but they they sweep that week, those three teams this week, and hey, you got to tip your hat for that as they will end the season with just one loss as they go into uh, the SEC tournament, which starts March the 4th in Northern Little Rock for the ladies. Yeah, uh, I, I've caught a few of the women's games, uh, none, none this year, unfortunately, but uh, way back when, when Pat Summit was in her prime and Shamik Holdsclaw, uh, I think there was a game that was like 101 to 38. Tennessee came to town, and it was just wow. But then you think about kind of where the program was then and where Matthew Mitchell is now, where you can actually be a little disappointed when they drop some games because he's, he's building a program uh, here in Lexington that uh, you know should be in the top 25. Uh, and they've been that way for a while now. So uh, I definitely want to see them do well uh, as well. Yeah, and um, like you said, come a long way as far as closing that gap. Last year, the uh, UK Hoopcats went to Knoxville and won uh, at Thompson Bowling Ring. They beat, you know, the Lady Balls. I think I was in Louisville at the time. And saw it on the phone and was just like, wow, we beat the Lady Vols. I remember how excited I was because uh, we went up to visit some family there in Louisville and, and saw that. And this year they had them on the ropes. At home they lost 73-72, to 72, which that just rips your heart out. And then, of course, down in Knoxville, uh, it was a, a bigger margin of defeat. They lost 72-58. to 58. Uh, But they're still very, very solid, 19-8. Uh, uh, I'm looking forward to going and watching them uh, against South Carolina. Uh, it's almost sold out. It's going to be a huge crowd there, and that speaks again to what Coach Mitchell has done. And then you have South Carolina being a, a top-ranked team as well. Like I said, they only lost at UConn, which, I mean, that pretty much you do. They were running a pursuit of perfection ads for Kentucky, as they've done all year on the men's side. And then South Carolina's women were undefeated, and Princeton's women were undefeated, and Princeton still is. But when we looked at the schedule and saw that South Carolina was playing up at Storms, Connecticut, you knew it was going to be pretty tough for them to leave there and still be undefeated. But um, Don Staley's done a heck of a job. 
you and I, I'm not, I don't mean to speak for you. I think we're both a little too young to remember Cheryl Miller. Miller. Also regarded as the greatest women's player of all time. But Don Staley as a point guard at Virginia, she could flat out ball. Um, and now she's proven that she's a good coach as well. So it's, I'm looking forward to watching that. And, and you know, you got to be happy with what she's done down there. Definitely. No, I, I – and like I said, the women's program is coming along. Uh, so – uh, it's not just at uh, Kentucky, but it, even at Louisville. Uh, yeah. I was having a conversation with some Louisville fans today, and you look at what both programs have done, you know, uh, as a total athletic programs in the last 10 years or 15 years, and uh, it's it's phenomenal. Uh, both schools have built state-of-the-art soccer facilities. I mean, that wouldn't have happened you know, 20 years ago. So they're all headed in the right direction. Yeah, and your um, Elmo and I don't know, who's the other one? Who's the, what's the blue puppet's name? But your your Elmo and whoever the blue one's tweets regarding UK and UVL kind of mm-hmm. squashing it and not being so stupid acting towards one another. Those are always cool to see. Who's the, other, who's the blue puppet? Uh, I believe that's Abby Kadabi, that uh, red or blue, I like you. Okay, but yeah, yeah that's, that's, that's you know, the the crazy fringes on on both fan bases need to take that to heart. You know, we we don't need to be fighting in the Allison centers and and just you know we gotta keep the hatred healthy and don't don't get stupid with it. So it's always funny seeing you tweet those out, but some need to apply it on both sides. Exactly. Exactly. That's that's definitely. Uh, Something people should take to heart. Absolutely. Had another fun show. Uh, mm-hmm. Second half is about to start. I know you're going to watch these final 20 minutes. I'm going to watch these final 20 minutes, as is the rest of Big Blue Nation. Uh, looking forward to seeing Kentucky leave Terry Brown's favorite city, Starkville, Mississippi, with a win. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, hopefully you won't get any, any flack from the citizens of Starkville for just throwing shade at this city tonight. Um, but hoping to see Kentucky finish strong. We look forward to the game against Arkansas Saturday. Uh, appreciate everybody listening and look forward to seeing you Saturday as well. And we'll probably be tweeting about that in the next couple of days or so. But uh, looking forward to seeing you this weekend, sir. And uh, that's going to be fun as well. We'll just let that be a tease for those mm-hmm. listening now. Right, right. Well, uh, I look forward to seeing you and another great show. We'll go watch the uh, rest of the game and see the uh, cats uh, pick up the uh, take care of the dogs. There you go. That's Cats Talk with Vinny and Terry. For Terry Brown, this is Vinny Hardy. This is once again the Brown and Hardy Radio Network on blogtalkradio.com. Have a good night, TV. Have a good night, everybody. We'll see you all next Wednesday. Mm-hmm.